You're listening to Errol Parker and Clancy Overall, editors of the Batuta Advocate on Desert Rock FM. Well, welcome back to the Batuta Advocate radio show, recording live here from downtown Batuta. We've got Errol Parker back on deck. You're joined by myself, Clancy Overall, as well. And it's been quite a big week in news, as I'm sure everyone's aware. Sydney's numbers continue to spike north. Looks like it might have gotten away from Melbourne as well, which isn't uh, good news for anyone down there. We're starting to uh, realise just how contagious and how almost, what's the word? The infectious. High, infectious, but the high viral load of this Delta variant. Yeah, apparently they were saying on the news this morning as I was watching, they were saying that, you know, the the sewerage all over New South Wales was, was glowing green. They were saying, you know, the, the viral load was high and virile, I was saying. Not good news for anyone. Uh, of course, up here in the proud deep north, we continue to soldier on. COVID can't kill us, can't infect us. Um, COVID doesn't like the heat. Doesn't like that corrugated iron curtain that we put up on the border either. It can't get through. So, uh, hates the heat, hates Queenslanders, and we hate it. Yep. Elsewhere in the news, though. Mm, yes, it all pales in comparison to what is happening in Afghanistan. You, you know, we, we do have this, you know, it's, it's a super flu that is deleting our elderly and our sick at a rate of knots. You know, it's keeping a lot of people inside, inside their lovely houses with access to food and water, shelter. But of course, what's happening over in Afghanistan is really puts a lot of the struggles that, that, that most Australians go through each day into perspective. Absolutely. And, and the global news cycle hasn't been good for the soul this week. We've seen uh, on top of what's happening in Afghanistan, we've seen, you know, bushfires, the climate fires in Greece. Uh, France is starting to light up as well. And, of course, poor old Lebanon still have not recovered from the explosion in Beirut 12 months ago. There's vast parts of that country that are without power or fuel. Yeah, not not a lot of good coming out of there right now. Afghanistan, obviously, though, this week has been the one where we've seen the most emotive images coming out of. We saw everything happening at the airport there in Kabul. And we're seeing the subsequent fallout from the Taliban, uh, I guess, taking control of the major cities over there and the collapse of the Afghan armed forces. In today's episode, we're going to speak to someone who probably can't speak to what's happening right now, but in this last 20 years, we've seen 20 years of conflict, and this man was there for, for quite some time in the middle of all that. Harry Sanner, he's a videographer, a journalist, and a philanthropist. Yeah, just a, just a general... Uh, storyteller who's going to be able to tell us a little bit about the very complicated situation over there and the, and their history, their modern history at least. Thank you for joining us today, Harry Sanner. Thanks for having me on board. Now, Harry, can you just tell us what your thoughts were this week, your initial thoughts, because they would be very different to the rest of us. We know Australians are particularly complicit when it comes to, you know, unstable countries or destabilized countries and there's often the oh you know no one can help them or oh, they've been at it for years but you know that is the truth but you were there for some of those years so can you just tell us some of the feelings you had seeing those images earlier this week yeah of course uh look i i think kind of the shocking nature of it was more in the um in the speed and and relative as peaceful yeah success of the Taliban's push into Kabul, I don't think anyone that had been keeping even a long eye on the country expected 
it to hold out to the Taliban for too long, yeah. but um, a matter of days and hours by the end of it, yeah. I think came as a shock to pretty much everyone. There's all this talk of the Afghan armed forces collapsing. Hmm. You know, obviously the American way out is by saying they didn't try hard enough and they didn't want to win, which is a pretty uh, interesting thing to say a month after you left them. Yeah, yeah. No, I, look, I, I think obviously it's it's intrinsically far more complicated than uh, than that. I, I don't think it's a matter of their heart being in it or not. I think. Traditionally, historically, at least for the last twenty years of this uh, of this coalition war in Afghanistan, I think the um, the motivations is kind of something that kind of really needs to be understood and kind of talked about in the forefront. I mean, at the end of the day, the U.S. forces over there were doing it as part of a mission objective that constantly changed from initially eradicating terrorism and obviously an immediate kind of knee-jerk reaction to September 11 and then kind of turned into this kind of slightly amorphous nation-building effort to kind of institute some sense of democracy and unify a country that traditionally has kind of never really been unified linguistically, culturally, economically or militarily. Look, I think at the end of the day, the Afghan National Army's you know, apparent sort of melting away, kind of pretty much entire dissolution in the spate of, you know, a couple of months, a couple of weeks, and then a couple of days, shouldn't come as a huge surprise, really. So when you say they haven't been unified in the sense that it's not necessarily a warring nation of divisions, but it is, you know, it's not like Australia where some kid from Perth joins the army, gets sent to Duntroon, and they have this, you know, centralised kind of system where all the politicians go to Canberra and all these people speak the same language and they have elected representatives to represent certain industries in certain regions who all answer to the one leader. That's never really been the case. No, no. Culturally, it's 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 pretty isolationist. And, and what the American forces and I guess the international forces as well, but obviously very much driven by the Americans early on, did was pick, I guess, applicable savvy warlords that they thought they could essentially fund back and control, then they just basically walked into power early on, and that comes from Karzai and, you know, a bunch bunch of these senior politicians, they essentially legitimised a certain subsect of kind of the nation yeah. to control, and that's that's not a new concept. That's been done plenty of times before, unfortunately, in history, but I think Fundamentally, what they tried to do was instill a sense of national sovereignty in a nation that never really understood it, has never really kind of worked with the concept. And, uh, I mean, that's, you know, no slight against the Afghan people at all. I think it's just, it's kind of a square peg round hole, and I think that's coming to the fore pretty pretty intensely now. Do you think the Taliban have that ability to unite? Well, I mean, I certainly think they have the fear factor at this stage. I mean, what you're seeing, which is pretty inspiring and honestly pretty remarkable at the moment, is the citizenry rising up in certain places, Jalalabad yesterday, and journalists who have been trained and reared during the American occupation there that have a sense of, I guess, democratic hunger. Mm. And they're calling out the Taliban, because the Taliban are holding press conferences now. The whole kind of thing feels very surreal. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think there is certainly a lot of, you know, very brave people there that will call the Taliban to account. Mm. 
whether the Taliban can actually maintain control of the country. I mean, you know, I feel like anyone that's talking about Afghanistan in any way at the moment doesn't want to say too much because it's been such a fluid situation. But I think if it's going to be them nation building and kind of retaining and kind of regaining control of the country in any way, it'll be definitely driven by fear for the time being. I mean, the obvious um, concern, concern is a very light word to use, but uh, is it'll descend into bloodshed. Mm -hmm. But so far, it hasn't. And that has been, I think, probably a positive that a lot of Surprise, though, for for someone like you that spent time there? Is that a surprise? Yeah. I mean, I I, I think so. I mean, my time there was um, I uh, lived in country for a couple of years, but sort of travelled there and worked there from 2008 through to 2012-13. And uh, Taliban at that time, uh, which were essentially a fighting force that mobilised, trained, and I guess kind of got their shit together in Pakistan during the off-season, during the winter season, and then in spring, which was called the fighting season, used to flood back over the border and hit all these American positions in the east and the south pretty hard. I mean, I, I, I I think an ongoing legacy will be kind of a respect for the Taliban's endurance. Yeah, know? yeah, because they were coming across, you know, from Pakistan into places like Kandahar, Helmand, across those places. But just for those people who are listening at home, Harry, what brought you to Afghanistan and what were you doing there? Hmm. I mean, okay, just- yeah, sure. So you weren't a David Hicks you weren't a uh, no, 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 no. You weren't no. a sympathizer at all with the uh, people. You were, you were a. You're a journalist. Yes, yeah. but you were, but you were also a freelance as well. Yeah. You weren't sent there by anyone. No, no, yeah, that's right. Well, I mean, I was, I was based in South Asia at the time, uh, in uh, in Delhi first, and then uh, Pakistan for a little while. It was one of the biggest stories going on there, and kind of as you know, a young journo trying to kind of cut my teeth in. Uh, more complicated parts of the world, to put it that way. It was, you know, an incredibly appealing story to cover. And I think that's what got me over there to start. And then uh, yeah, I think I um, became a bit obsessed with the story for a time. Mm-hmm. I just want to go into how someone who isn't with, I guess, an Australian newspaper, you know, because at the time there were overseas bureaus for a major, a major mastheads. Yeah. You weren't with any of them. You weren't with uh, the ABC. You were kind of a... I guess you'd say a backpacker slash journo in the subcontinent, <laughs> yeah. um, sending work back home? Uh, sending work. I mean, I did a lot of work um, for American press at the time. There was a time I worked for Al Jazeera for a little bit. I would just do basically as a freelancer. Yeah, you're essentially a gun for hire yeah. without a gun. And uh, and that's kind of what my uh, what my position and role was there. As, as time wore on in country in Afghanistan, you develop contacts, you develop... Uh, relationships both within the kind of US military which was kind of in that time the easiest and kind of most approachable way of getting around the country that's how uh, you did it you you approached them yeah so yeah, yeah so, so they're essentially the Qantas of Afghanistan at the time fundamentally <laughs> yeah. you could call them that yeah, yeah you could call them that they probably wouldn't call themselves that but uh, <laughs> yeah no uh, so they they had uh, Americans pushed something called the uh, called the embed program, which was essentially pairing journalists with different American and Afghan units all around the country. And I mean, that's very much part of a structure of American propaganda in some ways, you know. And yeah. um, I guess fundamentally, that is something that uh, that 
I was conscious of at the time, and I certainly think people are more conscious of now, that the narratives that you would spin kind of from within the system of the American military, I mean, you're essentially going out with these men and women that are, that are protecting you. They're the ones with the guns and you're in an active war zone. So anytime you're in a firefight, I'm ducking like a fucking moron, hoping someone's going to shoot us out of it, you yeah. know? And, uh, and I, I think in that way, it kind of comes with its own challenges of remaining... Scant, scant, and uh, and yeah, kind of. How do you how do you deal with that, knowing that you know you've approached, for example, a certain unit of the American Army and mm-hmm. said, "Can I please come with you to wherever you're going next? Mm-hmm. I want to put cameras on you." They say yes, mm-hmm. knowing full well. I mean, obviously, the American, as you mentioned before, they have a way of you know that that actually makes them look good by bringing someone like you with them. Mm. But the soldiers don't necessarily think that. So what do you what do you do in that circumstance where they now know that they've got some long-haired Australian bloke that they've also got to keep an eye on as well as themselves? How would you work with them? Yeah, look, I mean, it kind of differed from unit to unit and kind of whatever the, um, I guess, the mission objective of these particular units or battalions or what have you are. I mean, I was with the Marines in the South in Helmand, you mentioned before, and uh the 101st Airborne in the east for a while, and then a medivac unit. And so different parts of the country, different missions. The mileage varied on journalists being along for the ride, particularly in places that were kind of hard fought and uh, and kind of encountered a lot of, lot of firefights, a lot of blood and guts kind of every day. I think uh, having a journalist around didn't kind of, might have slowed their role a little bit. Yep. Yeah. Um, but I, I think in some ways that's, Probably as good a thing as it is a bad thing. Yeah. yeah. So, what did the country look like when you arrived there in two thousand and eight? Mm. Like, like from what we saw, um, you know, earlier on this year, that Afghanistan had had essentially returned to some sense of normality. What was it like, you mm-hmm. know, thirteen years ago? Well, I mean, I'll, I'll probably talk to sort of two thousand nine onwards because that's when I was sort of in country a lot more. And how that- old were you when you dropped yourself in there? First up, I think I was 22, 23, <laughs> I know, which, I mean, you know, it sounds ridiculously young and stupid, but, I mean, I was still a year or two older than most of the uh, American soldiers there, yeah, you yeah. know, yeah. so the, in, in that Never way. Never thought of that, actually. I know, I know. It's, uh, it's, it's a weird thing. But, yeah, no, look, I, I uh, the 2009 uh, Obama, one of his kind of first uh, sort of acts when he kind of landed in office was order a troop surge in Afghanistan, which happened in 2009. And so the idea was to kind of reinvigorate and route out the Taliban in some of these kind of heartland areas in the south and the east. And so kind of suddenly you had like 100,000 plus more boots on the ground there. Yeah. And there was kind of this sense of momentum where it kind of felt like it was maybe flagging a little bit before. Suddenly you had troops, you had tanks, you kind of had the full apparatus of the American military machine kind of just descending on this country. And there was kind of, I I guess in some ways there was a sense of optimism. But then again, I mean, and this is I think probably an important point. I was uh, just this week going through some of my old stories, uh, coverage of Afghanistan during that time and then into sort of 2010-11 wrote a story about um, a valley in Afghanistan called Pesh Valley, which is sort of at the mouth of the Coringal Valley. And this was kind of a really intense area of fighting. There was yeah. a um, doco called Restrepo yep. came out about uh, at, around that time that was about a unit in Coringal Valley. It was one of the bloodiest fights in the war at that time. 
And just kind of looking back at uh, some of the some of the kind of little bits and color and things that I'd sort of pulled out for that story, you know, there was this feeling that probably the Americans would withdraw out of that area over the coming months. And uh, talking to those Afghan National Army guys at the time and some of the local elders and all of that, there was a sense that they said, look, Taliban will come in the moment the Americans step out of here. And, I mean, we're talking an article I wrote 10 years ago. Yeah. Right. There was a um, this uh, this valley in uh, in Kunar province in eastern Afghanistan, right along the side, Pakistan, uh, the border there. There was uh, 101st Airborne was kind of weighing up the option of kind of withdrawing from that area at the time. And, uh, and the Afghan National Army, all these interviews I did at that time, they said, you know, the moment the Americans leave, we do not have the firepower, the training, the discipline to yeah. kind of withstand a Taliban push at this time. And, you know, 10 years later, look That's where right. we are. So where was the Taliban at this time? I mean, they're obviously out in the field. They were in Pakistan. They were fighting. But um, as soon as the Americans would leave, you know, where, where would the Taliban kind of materialize from? Like, were they just kind of like they're lying dormant? Yeah, well... I mean, this is kind of where you get, uh, I think, where rightly and wrongly um, comparisons of Vietnam kind of come up pretty yep. pretty strongly. I mean, the Taliban, you know, they, they dress differently. They obviously were lugging around small and medium arms and things like that. So they kind of stood out from your average local Afghan. But at the same time, I mean... The the war and particularly in those in those heavy areas of fighting down in the in the south and and in the east, I mean, the Americans paid a lot of locals to fight on their yep. behalf. A lot of those soldiers were Afghan National Army, Afghan National Police, Afghan Border Police, but then a lot of others were kind of irregulars, I guess you'd yeah. call them. And it was basically just a war of. Kind of economic attrition yeah, yeah. in some ways, and and kind of who would um, who would essentially pay these guys to fight, um, and so obviously, kind of as part of the the American withdrawal, you're kind of losing these economic incentives, but uh, you're also really losing um, air support and and kind of the fear of the American military, which yeah. was kind of pervasive and did keep the <laughs> Taliban away. Yeah. So I guess I guess in you know I sort of took that uh, took that question a few directions, but I mean to answer it, either across the border, yeah. or they weren't Taliban at the time. Yeah. 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 They were yeah. Taliban were in plain sight. Yeah. 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 They were. Yeah. They were cops or something, you know. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. and and yeah, no, that's. I mean, there's obviously the hard trained fighters, um, but. They were the they were the folks that kind of poured yeah. back over the border. Yeah, is, yeah, yeah. Is that is that part of it? So is this is this what we're seeing now with this collapse of a government and and military? Is it maybe now the, the Taliban's got the biggest checkbook in the country? So yeah, they got the only and, and but also yeah, that yeah. this isn't like we're coming into bat for say, you know, we look at let's look at Yugoslavia mm-hmm. for example, formerly known as we could have you know, and the Australian Army or the American Army could have jumped on any one of those warring sides during you know, their civil war, and they would have had an army, a local army that were fighting for something. Mm -hmm. In Afghanistan, we had to create that. Yeah, fundamentally. I mean, by by, uh, like what I was saying before about sort of trying to kind of instill a sense of national sovereignty around a centralised government in Kabul, you're essentially trying to create a nation state where there never was one before. And, I mean, you know, the Taliban was 
in the 90s, they came, they sprung out of a vacuum that the Russians left when they kind of failed after their 10 years of war in the 80s and, uh, and emerged after a pretty brutal civil war, victorious in the late 90s, yeah. and then yeah. you've got 2001. Yeah. It's kind of all sort of, you know, there's something cyclical about it. Yeah, they've got the runs on the board really like they know how to win at home i guess don't they they do and we're talking kind of (laughs) incredibly seasoned and experienced fighters and you know they've had the motivation in a way that no one else has they've had drive endurance and motivation and uh and i mean the afghan national army was uh was kind of pulled from across afghanistan across these yeah yeah these you know ethnic linguistic lines and told to kind of fight for basically a wage because at the same time there was no real belief in the system of centralised government in Kabul and part of that is because of rampant corruption and part of that is because it's not something that's existed in the mindset. I mean, there was talk of this winning this war by generation and now they've been there essentially a generation but obviously it was going to take longer and I, I don't think the withdrawal by any means was... The wrong call. I mean, how long? How long do you stay there yeah. as, a, as an international occupying force? Yeah. I think certainly, and I mean, this is lo- logistical calamities seems to be a bit of a, um, a a buzz term for the last couple of years in general in the world. I think this particular withdrawal in Afghanistan, what's happened since uh, the Taliban reoccupied Kabul, yeah will go down as one of the greatest logistical calamities of the 21st century. Yeah. yeah. Do you reckon this is something that will be remembered? Like there's certain things in the American empire that everyone remembers. It was an arrow to the knee. Hurricane Katrina was one of them, mm-hmm. you know, where that they really fell short there yeah. and they probably lost a lot of faith in themselves. Yep. Vietnam War was definitely one of them. Do you reckon this will be our... George Bush hates black people. Kanye West, basically, you know, know, put that one out there for us. But there were a lot of a lot of different moments. George Floyd, for example. Yeah. This this is the this is the defining. Yeah. Yeah. Of of the century. Yeah. Look, I mean, if you if you look at the if you look at this week and the fall of Kabul as a bookend to a row of tomes that started at September 11 mm-hmm. as the other side of the bookcase, I think you could comfortably, from an armchair, call it a decline of American imperialism. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's, yeah. well, that's a legacy that will come up. And, I mean, look, I, I think something certainly not to um, not to turn away from and something to kind of really... I think probably champion over the over the coming months and years is is the mental health of the people that were involved served, in that war. Yeah, yeah the, the, those that served here here in Australia, uh, overseas. Of course, first and foremost at the moment, the focus and the attention from policymakers, from the media, from the general global public should yeah. be on the safety of the Afghan people yep. and a hopefully fairly peaceful transferal of full power across the country back to the Taliban yeah. without, you know... Too much. Too much bloodshed, yeah. but also too many concessions lost. I mean, yeah. particularly around female education, yeah. you know, empowerment of women in yeah. general. I mean, that's obviously a huge concern. I mean, I, I don't think... 
fundamentally, globally, there's a lot of trust in the Taliban that that yeah. will continue. But I mean, it's it's hard to say. I mean, this has been a surprising week in the country. But um, yeah, there's but, been a bit of a mask off this week with yeah. the Taliban, hasn't there? Yeah, like, yeah, what, yeah, what, yeah. Who, what, who are we dealing with here? Yeah, you know? <laughs> I know it's fascinating. And you've got some of these old uh, these old commanders that have kind of come. Yeah, you know, come. Like, there's one that's like had a four and a half year holiday in Cuba. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And now he's back in Kabul. I know, yeah. I know. It's unbelievable. Imagine being a fly on the wall following these guys over I the know, last 20 like, years. Like, it's coming home. Yeah, like, I know. Yeah, like, he'd have, he'd have, I mean, like, every year you get these autobiographies from cricketers and sports stars. I mean, that's the story I want to read. Yeah. You know, well, like, gone from, you know, being a child when, you know, the Soviets were in there to, yeah. to, to seeing the Americans pour a bunch of money into to the merger dean, to, you know, look, it 9-11, been, the war. Yeah, look, it Gitmo. has been a dramatic few decades yeah. for Afghanistan. I yeah. mean, you know, close to half a century. I mean, you could stretch it back. I mean, you know, they called it the graveyard of empires, yeah. you know, and, uh, you know, going back to the great game, which was sort of when the kind of British colonial powers were fighting the Russians, and now you've kind of got Chinese interests there, you've got the Pakistanis, you've got India, you've got the States. I mean, it is, it's kind of a, a, a really fascinating, fascinating perhaps, um, not lending to the grim nature of it for, for the people on the ground there, yeah. but, um, but you've, got, you've got a place that has been a nexus of yeah. geopolitical kind of saber-rattling and, and saber-swinging yeah. for so long now. I mean, it's, uh, you know, what's next? I mean... It's, it speaks to something, though, doesn't it? It's like, and I, I think it's of great interest to everyone in the world that the Afghan people, while this, in this last 20 years, you mm. kind of look around the world, all the countries that joined in on that war with America, yep. like the globalisation of this effort didn't take much. You know no, what I mean? No. It wasn't hard to get a bunch of people to, to be on the side of America. It wasn't, you know, we, we've had a, uh, we've experienced, I guess, the internet in that time. We've experienced, you know, generations around the world who are now all watching NBA in the back of bloody, you know, back of Brisbane. Mm-hmm. We've got like, there's a globalization that's happening elsewhere in the world. And that's why Afghanistan's so interesting that they have just not flinched on anything, despite having Americans in there paying $300 million a day to make them into a system like theirs, yeah. that they were able to not do that. No, that's right. I mean, the And the Russians did that before, would you say? Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, the Russians did. Russians didn't put nearly as much of an investment in as the Americans have, yeah. both in time, I think half the time, and certainly a fraction of the money. Yeah. But... Um, you know, I think I. I mean, it's it can't be not seen as a tragedy yeah. in any way, shape, yeah. or form. I mean, it's uh, the loss of life fundamentally, obviously. Uh, but uh, but I, I I think it's what's hard and what's I think really important, and especially for for listeners, I think is on an Australian context, considering you know the the servicemen and women that yeah. uh, that were over there at this time. I think there'll be a real struggle with the perceived futility of the whole endeavor. Sure, I mean, yeah. we're talking we're talking 20 years and a lot of people lost a lot of friends, yeah. family members, people lost limbs, yeah, you know, yeah. uh, people people have been affected by it in, yeah, yeah. in you know, untold ways. I mean, that's it's also, you know, it's, sorry, it's important to point out that, you know, while this thing has its 20-year regime has 
you know, not netted the results that we thought. We weren't even sure what the results we were looking for were. That's not to say, obviously, the people that went there weren't the best of the best, and they were. And I'm, and I'm sure the Americans you saw were absolutely top to bottom military men and women. It was just a completely different thing to what everyone thought they were getting into. Yeah, I mean, there, there is partly that. I, I, th- I think partly as well, though, I mean, to go back to what I was saying before about the motivation and, and I guess, grit and determination of the Taliban kind of eventually winning out yeah. just by time alone. I mean, you've got, you've got American service members as well as... Australia and every coalition member that kind of joined that uh, joined that fight early on. You've got a situation where people are joining up for all kinds of reasons. I mean, America saw you know millions of people through Afghanistan, their own you know men and women, and I think. What's not to be kind of lost and forgotten there is beyond sort of the mission and the fact that they were doing their jobs over there. A lot of people sign up to the military for. Tertiary yeah. education yeah. for corrective healthcare. eye surgery. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like it's it's a job. <laughs> like like healthcare. Yeah, like yeah. healthcare. Exactly. So, in, in the states, that is. Yeah, that's so, right. No, I mean, yeah, it's, states. So, states. states I am talking specifically yeah. about America, and and yeah. you know when I when I do talk about this stuff, I I did not have a lot of back and forth with the Australian military yeah. over there. Um, there weren't as open with journalists and yep. particularly because of our special forces kind of role there we had a lot more special forces on the ground and obviously news considering what's happened it's, it's classified kind of a, Harry. yeah it's 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 classified yeah yeah yeah, yeah that's right <laughs> so uh yeah so i mean i think uh, when, when we're talking about america specifically i mean I, i've got a, a, a it, ton it, of it is different it is different it is no 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 australians are joining the army of often from army families and they want to protect their country and they could do that in the police force, and they could do that in many ways, or they could have any other job. Here. And other like it's 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 a great job. Yeah, it's a great job in this country. Yeah, it's it's a, it's, it's a fantastic job. It offers so much to so so many people in 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 that it's it's not just where you go and get things. It's it's where you go and grow into something. You know? but it's, it's, it's in the states, it's emancipation. Look, in it, America, it's 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 yeah. getting the fuck out of bum fuck Idaho. Really? Yeah. Is. yeah look, I mean, and, and not to not to in any way cast dispersions or dispute the American morale because I feel like it's as strong as anywhere in the world. Um, and I, I feel like not to dispute the American morale and the kind of ethos of the military because I mean I think it's kind of one of the most uh, powerful. And when I say powerful, I mean. Um, strongly believed by yeah. the individual service members in the world. I mean, ideology. Know, yeah, yeah, ideology. I mean, America's kind of a fascinating place for that, and certainly kind of, I think, acts as an interesting counterpoint to Australia in general um, when we talk about kind of jingoistic kind of approaches to nationalism. I mean, you know, but I do think you know, with with experience to the Americans and. I produced a, a film a couple of years ago following a um, American medivac unit, of incredibly brave men and women who were on a uh, Black Hawk helicopter and would fly out to front lines all over the country in Afghanistan and pick up dead, wounded, seriously injured, and that would go for coalition service members, local Afghans, Taliban, locals that were giving birth, anything really. They were yeah. just kind of a you know, paramedic kind of organisation that was part of the US military for sure. But, um, but I mean, I think mental health for 
service people that uh, were over in Afghanistan is going to be and should be at the forefront of everyone's minds going forward. Mm-hmm. I mean, if the if the legacy of Afghanistan deemed by kind of the public at large, the global audience yeah. is going to be what a futile waste of fucking well, time. Well, they start using words like pointless and, you know, you, you, yeah. Yeah. aside from the trauma they're carrying from service yep. and from literally gunfire mm-hmm. and, you know, and, and yeah, b- explosions and, yeah. and shot at and seeing their mates die, that wasn't bad enough. Now being told by the general population that what they did was pointless, yeah. that doesn't feel like a good place to be. No, no. no. And I think the legacy of, uh, of Vietnam and kind of, you know, I mean, this this all happened kind of before before our time, mm. um, three, you know, three of us in this room. But uh, I think, you know, the whole baby killer we kind of, yeah. Spinning. I mean, if, if we've learnt one thing from that, it's that it's incredibly destructive. And yeah. there's a generation of people, a couple of generations now, considering the length of the Afghan war, that will be carrying that for the rest of their yeah. lives, and we need to be very careful. Absolutely. And we also need to be incredibly supportive. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, for those listening uh, that are in that position, I mean, I'm not saying anything you haven't heard before, but seek help. Yeah, talk to the people around you and vocalize. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, I think that's really important. Don't don't sit with this because it's not easy. It's not easy for anyone that was there in country, uh, and I think it's going to feel off and wrong and i guess it's up to everyone to try and decide where that line is yep. yeah seek help well and if you're not getting help from the people that said they'd give you help call jackie lambie's office and she will sort you out we we <laughs> got a love a lot of love for jackie and batuta she's she's fighting the good fight for the veterans so uh yeah uh, wise words there harry well harry when was i suppose that the documentary you made trauma it's basically in two parts for those who haven't seen it at home is the first part you you, you know you, you're in country with these uh, with these boys from the medevac unit and kind of the second part is is when you're revisiting them again once they've gotten back to america hmm. what stuck out to you about the changes that these men had gone through once they'd gotten home yeah i think I, i've sort of I liken it a little bit to sort of, you know, the old um, kind of stage magic show trick of kind of soaring, soaring the, the yeah, assistant yeah. in half. I feel like when you go out and you are involved in combat in any way, shape or form, really, uh, but particularly if it's in a foreign country, fighting for reasons that may seem fairly amorphous to you yep. personally, I think what it does is it kind of soars you in half and I think returning home is kind of that part of the magic show where they're spinning you around in one side and you see the foot, the yeah. feet sticking out the other side of a box. But uh, but you're part of the magic trick. You don't yeah. have any idea how uh, how it's feeling. And I feel like it's incredibly hard to fuse those two parts of you back together. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, and I think for, you know, every one of those individuals I, I, I covered in trauma as well as kind of many veterans at large, I think trying to marry the experiences of kind of combat and a tour or multiple tours overseas and home life, being a mother, being a son, being a functioning member of society in some ways can be really challenging. It's yeah. not across the board, but I think a lot of people struggle with it, especially in the a early tour, days. How long would a tour be? Depended on the unit. Um, Marines 
were you again i'm talking america yeah, yeah. yeah u.s marines were six months u.s army 12 but sometimes that would shift missions change things happened yeah but uh, i mean we're talking i mean so, some of the guys that i covered in 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 my documentary as well as other people i you know had uh, had experiences with working there as a journalist yeah, they were doing three, four, five tours. And you're, you're thinking at the time there's Iraq war going on in the yeah, early yeah. days as well. So they were bouncing between Iraq and Afghanistan. I mean, oh. Yeah, well, no. Fuck. I, I, know, know. I know. They were saying um, in the war crimes inquiry here that there were six instances of special forces guys that done like 13 to 15 tours. Yeah. So that's ba- basically every year back to back just yeah. – spending that like there is no break at all like there's no coming back to perth and hanging out at swanbourne or anything it's just it's it's just 15 years 15 years of of non-stop fighting getting close to half your life for a lot of those blokes yeah so you just look at where we're at in australia right now where we're looking like a good part of this country could spend a year a good part of a year in lockdown mm-hmm. and 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 you look at those people who are now wondering Will I be the same when I come out of this? Mm-hmm. Will life go back to normal? Yeah. Just imagine that, except you're not in your living room. You're in the desert in the Middle East with gunfire mm. with a bunch of people that you have had to form very quick relationships with mm. and bonds with. And you might even see a couple of them die in front of you. Yeah, that's and, right. And then we talk about lockdown ends in Afghanistan and you arrive back in Kentucky and you try to go on church on Sunday and you try and get a subway and you're trying to go back to work as a, you know, whatever else your brothers and mates are doing. Yeah. You got to see that firsthand, Harry? Yeah. Yeah. No, look, a, a lot of that. And I think, um, yeah, that, that you know, just life over there as a foreign soldier in Afghanistan, I think is, you know, every single facet of it is so fundamentally at its core different to what life at home is like for most. You know, in some of these observation posts and, 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 you know, far off operating bases and things like that, I mean, the toilet essentially is kind of a an area of the sandbags where you shit into a plastic bag and throw it over the uh, over the Hescos or the um, or the sandbags because you can't ever stand up because yeah. of yeah. incoming fire. I mean, when you're kind of putting it down to sort of, you know, the core, you fine, the core indignities. Yeah. 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 How uh, you take a shit is remarkably different yeah, in this environment. Yeah, yeah, it's- and expand from there, <laughs> from shitting onwards. <laughs> Too dangerous to stand up. Yeah. yeah. So would you would you say in, in that in that in that sense and how different that world is in general. I mean, war in itself, but how different Afghanistan is mm. as they uh, you know, the people of that vast land who don't all identify as compatriots of one another. Yeah. Would you say that speaks to why no one has ever been able to defeat them? In in the sense the value systems are so different that even with a, a trillion dollar American military coming in, they just can't read this landscape. Look, I mean, if you if you look at pictures of of the Afghan landscape, the physical landscape, mm. I mean, you're you're talking about an incredibly. I mean, in parts of the country, particularly around the east and the Hindu Kush, which kind of leads eventually into the Himalayas and things, it's incredibly beautiful. I mean, it's kind of Tolkien esque, yeah. but it's rugged and yeah. it's harsh. And down south, you've got these deserts and kind of these poppy plantations and 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 things like that. I mean. You know, like I said before, I mean, country after country, going back to sort of Alexander the Great, has sort of 
I guess, washed and broken on its shores. Mm. It's a landlocked country, but I use it <laughs> metaphorically. Uh, but uh, it's an incredibly stoic in every kind of way of the yeah. word place. Yeah. And, um, and I think a word that I've seen kind of thrown around in the media this week and I kind of have mixed emotions about is... Um, using the term kind of of the last 20 years as sort of an experiment in democracy as an yeah. American kind of imperialistic exported democracy yeah, yeah. As, as a concept. I don't know how I feel about it, but it's an interesting idea to think. And I mean, 20 years doesn't certainly seem like it has been enough. And I mm. think in some ways the war entirely has been a failure if you yeah. just look at it quite clearly and objectively. But I think, I mean, at the end of the day, I think it's 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 tremendously sad yeah, for yeah. everyone involved. I yeah. mean, first and foremost, the Afghan people yeah. who, regardless of what side of the line they came down on and kind of whether they supported uh, the US invasion and the coalition invasion and kind of what their feelings were towards the Taliban throughout the years, you know, I, they just haven't been able to catch a fucking break in yeah. so long, in so many generations now. You mm. just, you, your heart goes out for them. So a lot of what you've covered, obviously there was some years you spent there, but obviously your uh, what you spent a lot of time on after you came back was this documentary, Trauma, yeah. which tells the story of Afghanistan through the eyes of the medivacs. Where, where can people find that now? That's on Apple Apple, uh, Apple iTunes and uh, Amazon. Yep. Uh, Amazon Prime, so it can be found there. Um, and, and yeah, I guess I guess to put on it Tug in, too, and uh, and Vimeo too. On demand. On demand, yeah, I believe it is. Yeah, Vimeo on demand. That's right. Well, look, yeah. you, you, I think you, you can go to trauma film. Yeah, that's right. And yeah. you'll find it. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. No, that's that's right. So yeah. No, fundamentally, I guess if 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 you wanted to give it a watch, it's. Uh, it's a story, as these guys said, about an American medivac unit, and it's told over the course of about six, seven years, from the time I first met them in 2010-11, and then I follow them back and forth from home life back to country again, and tell the story of how they assimilate back yeah. into society. I really liked it because it's, it's, it's such a rare insight into what it was like there that hasn't been put through, you know, the washing machine of commercial television or through you know a state kind of media outlet like the abc this is you know it's it's essentially you and these guys yeah basically yeah no that's right i mean it was really important for me to just kind of essentially be the single point of contact throughout for this particular unit from the time there and obviously i I sort of earned, I'd like to hope, uh, I earned my time with them in their subsequent years, uh, spending time in their homes and with their families. Back from the, in the time US. Back in the US, from the time I spent with them in the helicopter. But yeah, I think it, uh, it offers certainly not a broad narrative of Afghanistan. I don't know if one of those can be given, at, yeah, certainly no. at this stage, but it, it, it offers a window into yeah. a small slice of that war. And, you know, I, I hope people take something away from it well thank you for joining us uh harry that was um a small and um informative kind of uh insight into your time there and uh and everything that's going on in the news one thing i do want to ask is you just mentioned before as we finish up you just mentioned before afghanistan is rugged afghanistan is beautiful and it is very varied in 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 its landscape what was the most beautiful thing you saw there 
Oh, um, look, I mean, beautiful in terms of the of the landscape. Yeah. I think uh, I I think certainly the eastern part of the country around those sort of really high mountainous areas of the Hindu Kush, you've got kind of villages that have been entirely built out of stone and these kind of ancient rivers. I mean, you know, we were talking before about, you know, the legacy of Vietnam. If you look at Vietnam now as a holiday destination, I mean, it seems surreal and perhaps even um, the wrong thing to kind of posit as a concept, certainly at this stage. But, I mean, the, the country is a outdoor paradise in many ways i mean the tragedy that's befallen all the people there will never be washed out of those of those mountains but it is mountainous and green and intensely blue rivers Uh, again i'm talking the east uh, eastern part of the country and the and the people there the people in these villages i mean in the midst of the war and while i was being essentially ferried along kind of behind American patrols that kind of were going in, you know, the, the, the children that kind of were still sort of running around being kids. Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, beautiful to see as much as it was tragic. Well, know. we hope for more of that, more of that kind of imagery coming out of there yeah. in the next generation. Look, let's let's see. Let's, let's see. see. Well, thanks for joining us today, Harry. That's Trauma. You can get it now on Apple, uh, Amazon Prime. You get it on your boat. Get it in your ute. What did we say before there? You can get it from, uh, look, just go to trauma.film and, and it tells you every which way you can get it. Thanks, guys. Mm-hmm.